0: What it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis.
1: Hi, podcast listeners. This is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today for the show that is shaping the way that the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. QBAC is a next-generation advancement solution that reimagines alumni engagement to increase major planned and principal giving. QBAC acts as a force multiplier for fundraisers, enabling them to focus on what they do best, developing deep relationships with prospects and cultivating them into lifelong donors. QBAC automates the qualification process beyond simple scoring to ensure that your fundraisers have the best prospects. QBAC also uncovers actionable insights about current and future prospects to help fundraisers develop personalized cultivation strategies. Start closing bigger gifts in less time by going to www.cubac.com to schedule a free demo. Also, how about being our next host for the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow? I'm looking forward to two things this summer, getting back to the ballpark with my kids and getting the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow back on the calendar. If your organization would like to be a host location, let's schedule a time to chat. The Responsive Fundraising Roadshow provides six hours of the best fundraising training out there based on Responsive's for sense-making tools. Hosting Responsive's Roadshow is not like hosting a major conference that requires months of planning and all types of resources. All we need you to do is provide us with a safe learning environment for 25 adult professionals in your community who want to understand how highly effective fundraising really works. There is no cost to your organization, and we will reimburse you for all related expenses. If your organization would like to host the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow in your community, reach out and let's have a conversation today. Hi, Laura and Carrie. I am delighted to have you on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We have been trying for, I think, six months. I think it has actually been like six months. Uh, Laura, you sort of briefed me on how we, it sounds like we have mutual friends out in the fundraising space, uh, trying to figure, everybody has gotten to know each other on LinkedIn or other social media platforms in the last 12 months. And so I'm delighted that we have exchanged messages and those sorts of things. But um, I like to bring my new my newfound friends onto the podcast and get to know you slightly in a more meaningful way. And so this is what we're doing today. Um, let's ask you to introduce yourselves. And as our listeners know, we uh, ask, ask one or both of you to come with a big idea or bold opinion. So we'll get that out of you after you introduce yourselves. Carrie, how about you start? Tell us who you are.
2: Wonderful. Thanks for having us. So, I'm uh, Carrie Mueller, and I'm the interim executive director of development at St. Mary's College. And we are an all women's college in South Bend, Indiana. I am an alum of St. Mary's College, um, but have also been here working for the college for four years. Before that, I spent a lot of time in development in more social service, worked a long time for the Alzheimer's Association. But um, look forward to talking about um, major gift fundraising and the opportunity to do that with a remote staff very successfully, which is what we're doing at St. Mary's College.
1: And Laura, tell us who you are.
3: Yes, thank you, Jason. So glad we could do this. Um, My name is Laura Coleman Pritchard. I live in Kentucky. And as Carrie alluded to, uh, I work for St. Mary's College, which is about five hours from me. But I work from my home in Kentucky. Um, I've worked in major gift fundraising for about, I've right about 10 years now, um, major gifts and other areas of advancement in higher education. So I've worked at St. Mary's for three years. Prior to that, I worked for my alma mater at Center College in Kentucky. And I'm so happy to be joining you today to talk about this bold, big, bold idea.
1: All right, well, we're not gonna... Um... We've got 45 minutes of your time and we've got two guests. We don't usually have two guests. It sounds like you got the two of you have compared notes. You work for the same organization. Uh, so uh, it sounds like you've done some prepping on this idea. So I'm going to ask you what the big idea or bold opinion is.
3: Go for it, Laura. So, Carrie and I have now carrie's my boss that's important to note she's my boss um okay. she manages okay. our remote that's staff that's a, <laughs> yeah so carrie okay. is um she manages our remote staff so our big idea is that development teams should be at least open to the idea of having a remote staff we have we're going to convince you of that over the next 45 minutes we have metrics we have anecdotes and we just feel very strongly that especially after being in the pa- pandemic period where we've, we've had some triumphs in the fundraising world, we can really justify this conversation at, at least at your institutions. And we were actually a little, I think what inspired us, Jason, is that we were a little frustrated. We were on webinars during the pandemic where we shared great ideas with different fundraisers, different institutions. We heard them speak. And at the end of every webinar, they would say, "We have done great work this year, and we cannot wait to get everybody back in the office."
1: Yeah, and well, I, I've I've got to say, I, this this is a hot topic. So, but let let's 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 play let's play by some rules here, Laura. How about you and I on this topic? I think people are going to be very interested because Carrie, you're the boss. I think people are going to be interested in hearing this from Carrie's standpoint. So how about Laura, you and I sort of, you and I sort of tag team on the back end of what Laura, uh Carrie's going to tell us. Cause Carrie, I think is the boss, everybody out there. He's probably going to be the most interested in what you've got to say on this particular point.
2: I agree to those rules. Well, Jason, I, think- I agree.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think that, um, but I think it's important to recognize. So I think, to Laura's point, we we have seen a lot of success with this. and I think our team is unique in that we have an entirely remote gift officer staff. Yeah. So all of all of the gift officers um, currently are in remote locations. and And it was always set up like this. So before the pandemic, we were in remote locations. So we had um, people in five different cities. That were all, you know, working together. Um, we all had different regions that we were responsible for as gift officers, and um, and so we we don't have overlap as far as that's concerned, right? So we all have different, you know, regions that we're part of. But I think it started with um, how do we recruit and retain the best people, and I think. It started with St. Mary's interest in having experienced gift officers come and do this important work for St. Mary's College. And St. Mary's College is in a small town in Indiana that not everyone is interested or has the ability to move to. So if you want to get experienced people, it allowed us the opportunity to explore we have gift officers traveling 50% of the time for their jobs if they're doing it well and doing it right. And Mm -hmm. so why not explore the opportunity that these people live somewhere else, they travel there 50% of the time, and then the rest of the time, they still come back to campus on a regular basis to connect um, back to the mothership, as we like to say. Um, But, you know, it, it allows for them to bring their experience to us um, and get qualified people that we might not have been able to get otherwise. So I think it starts with recruitment and being able to get the right people. Um, I think the next step is then you're able to retain them. So we have a job that, again, if you're doing your job right, you're traveling 50% of your time. So when you come back from travel, um, you're then able to focus on what what work do you need to do to set up the next trip, and then to follow up on your current one. So I think it's, it's giving people that autonomy that they have to do their work when they're on the road, but I think it also gives them that when they come back, and in order to do that, you know, working remotely as well. Um, I think this would be like a good time to kind of punt to Laura for her to talk a little bit about, um, she came from an organization where she worked on campus. And then she came to St. Mary's College where she's been able to do the same work and do it remotely. So I think she's the best person to talk about why was that of interest to her and then why she stayed because of it. So
3: thank you, Carrie. Yes, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because I think it's a common misunderstanding of fundraisers when people think that we're all these crazy extroverts that just get charged from being out in front of people all the time. And that is not my story at all. Mm -hmm. So so when Mm -hmm. I would come back from a trip where I'd had three to four visits every day, and then I would come back on a Friday and have to go back to the office, I found it incredibly depleting. Um, Not only that, but I think all of us who have worked in an office setting before know that it's really difficult to focus sometimes in an office, especially when you've been gone because your team wants to talk to you. So how was your trip? Did you have fun? Um, that sort of thing. These, these questions that people who don't travel for work ask people who travel for work. Um, when really what you need to do when you get back from a trip is all the administrative functions that are not the visit. So the follow-up, you know, everything from the follow-up to the receipt reconciliation, you know, that sort of thing. So when I come home at the end of a trip, I'm able to do that and be incredibly productive and incredibly effective and frankly, just crank out a lot more work than I was able to do when I was in the office. So that is the primary reason this was really exciting to me. Um, And then the other part of it, I think that makes me stay is that because our entire traveling team is Um, remote, we get the chance to connect with each other remotely all the time, whether we're traveling or not. So, so when we're on the road, we can still tune into meetings and, and we can, we all are on the same equal playing field in terms of getting to know each other in a virtual environment. So.
1: Carrie, Carrie, one of the things that my listeners are constantly hearing me say is that I, I I think what we're sort of moving into is sort of a, an increased level of awareness amongst fundraising professionals as to who the right bosses to work for are, and who can create environments where fundraisers like where where any of us can thrive. Mm-hmm. tell me what it is. What is it about you that we've got to understand so that I know if I'm signing on to work for a carry versus a control freak who is going to expect me to be in the office every day?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you absolutely have to empower people to do their jobs and do it well. But I really think it starts with clear and defined goals. Uh So any anyone needs to have and and those goals are financial, right? Like what the expectations are for fundraising, because cuz that's yeah. what we're hired to do but it's about expectations for activities um it's expectations about how are we going to com- communicate as a group so for example we you don't have those interactions in the hallway that you have when you're all remote right so i call it forced fun everybody knows that that's what i call it so <laughs> sometimes you have to you have to create that even though it's like you're creating it. You know? So for example, we have coffee every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Okay. Right, and right. that is forced fun, right? Like at nine o'clock, it's expected everybody checks in. And really, we're just kind of hearing how people's weekends are all those things that you would do if you were in the office. Because you have to know people personally, not just professionally. And it's harder to do that when you're remote. Um, I think another example is you have to celebrate just like you would, if you were in the office and you you closed a big gift, you would cheer, and then people would run out in the halls and everybody high fives. Well, you don't do that when you're remotely, so you have to actually encourage people to celebrate those wins. And so we've created kitschy memes that you know we put on our text chat when someone has gotten an, a win, and it forced people to rel- at first people are reluctant to do that because it, it feels like forced a little bit or you're bragging or something. But if we were all mm-hmm. in the office together, we would be doing that. Like, we would be. And it wouldn't be viewed as that way at all. So you have to create this culture where that becomes the norm, right, of, of what you're doing. Um, <clears throat> but I think you have, to, you have to create goals. You have to create structure that allows people to be successful. Um, and then you have to hold people accountable. So, you know, you have to, you have to benchmark a lot against those goals, but if you're consistent with that, then people know what to expect. So anybody that works for me, they're not surprised when I'm looking at some of their metrics and saying, okay, you know, here's the expectation. What's your plan to get there? You know, or you're ahead. This is amazing. How are we going to help the rest of our team to, to, you know, benefit from your success? So I think it's really, um, being very structured and how you present goals and expectations. And then to your point, you, you can't be a control freak. Like you have to, (laughs) you have to be comfortable empowering people. Um, I like to be empowered myself as, as someone. And so I love providing that opportunity for others to do that too. Um, Because I think that is the only way that you can allow people to be successful is hold them accountable, but empower them as to what path they want to take in order to get to the results, you know, that we're all looking for. Um, And then you have to set up, you have to have all the right technology. Their technology has to work. You know, they have to be able to access the information they need. And you have to support them coming back to campus. So, you know, that's part of it. Because when we come back to campus, we reconnect to the mission, right? There's nothing more potent about a mission than being on the college campus and interacting with students and faculty and staff while you're there to re-energize the work that you're doing. Um, and so I think that's another, you know, another piece of it too. Yeah. Jason, I want to say,
3: I want to tell you why working for Carrie is so great also. And I do think this has to do with um, with being remote because I think Mm -hmm. in a remote environment, especially when it's only a small portion of the staff who are remote, our time is protected um, more than it would be. We're not getting pulled into those one-off, I'm going down the hallway to a meeting and, I hey, I think I'd like your perspective in here too. So why don't you join me? And, oh, maybe you too. Like, we don't have that. So our time is a little more protected. I hope Carrie's time is just a little more protected on that too. And so what that allows for us to do is have regular one-on-one check-ins with our executive director of development. So and Carrie is an experienced, successful fundraiser, so her advice is gold. I mean, it's amazing to be able to have that time to talk about sh- nuts and bolts, bolts strategy, how do we move this forward? You know, I'm at a standstill in this one Proposal, like what you know, here's what's happened. What do you suggest? Um, Just get that encouragement piece, and and you know, handle any administrative functions too. It's it's been eye opening to have that level of access to my direct boss because I've worked in places in the past where that that AVP level or that executive director level person is so bogged down in meetings that Mm -hmm. things just stagnate on their desk. So. That doesn't happen with Carrie.
1: So, Laura, I have always been of the opinion that fundraising is fundraising of the sort that I'm guessing the the, the your team is doing, Carrie, your team is doing, and Laura, the work you're doing um, is field work, and it's work that can oftentimes only be learned in the field. I don't like. I don't like consultants who get into seminar sessions, breakout sessions and try to teach major gift work in the classroom. It's not work that can be learned in the classroom. It's work that gets learned in the field. And I've and and as this as this conversation about rem, remote work has sort of emerged, you know, in the last 6 months as we've been talking about perhaps going back to work, I've thought fundraising ought to be the profession that's the best at this. And it ought to be the one of those professions that's the, that's gonna benefit the most because it 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 puts you it's sort of you're in the field now. I mean the only thing you can really do other than sort of check in with the office and have those strategic calls with Carrie mm-hmm. is be on the phone with your donors and mm-hmm. get to the airport and go visit with them. And that's field work in my I mean I mean it doesn't it narrowly focus you on doing what it is you need to be doing the most anyway?
2: Absolutely.
3: I think that's one of the biggest benefits is that yeah. I get to focus on the steps that it takes to get, you know, from point A to point B and, and work really collaboratively with that donor on, on bridging their best interests, their most exciting philanthropic interest with the needs of the institution. I get to focus on that and it's a luxury.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think, are they can- going are they going if- to keep, yeah, I'm sorry, Laura. Are they going to keep you around longer, be- just simply because of this decision? Just the decision. Oh, yeah. We're, every time, every every time the you know every six months, the Chronicle of Philanthropy has mm-hmm. to publish an article on the fact that every fundraiser, you know, half the fundraisers in the sector want to bail on us. Mm-hmm. But is this essentially going to be one of the solutions is just let them work out in the field and let them work from their yes. living room or their, their home office, yes. whatever it happens I mean, to I be.
3: have friends who have left the field to do everything from sales to just quit for a while to whatever. And that's really sad to me because for some some of us, I really feel like this is a calling and it's a very beneficial calling in the world. and you know, it's a skill that it is broadly matched to a bunch of different fields. So we, we do have a lot of flexibility and a lot of options. Um, and you know, as you know, Jason, that especially on LinkedIn, being active on LinkedIn, we, we get offers, we get, you know, people talk to us a lot about this and, and this level of flexibility, and I'm going to knock on wood as I say this, but I really don't think I'll return to an office.
2: Mm-hmm. I, right.
3: I think you could say with
2: confidence, Laura, that you wouldn't seek to. No, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah. That would not be my first choice. Right. Let's put it that way. Right. And, and it really does. I think, you know, again, sales sale, field people have been doing this in professions for a long time. Yes. And so, why, why would gift officers be any different? Right. We are, if we're doing our jobs well, we are field people and that's, that's what we're asked to do. That's the activity that we should be doing. And I think it really supports that kind of work. Um, You know, but again, you have to be, you, you, you have to be okay with people doing that work and not seeing every, but you can see the results. You can see Mm -hmm. the results. When people are happy doing field work, when they're being successful, when they're being held accountable, And empowered to go do good work, then that's, you know, that's when they're able to do it. But I I do think it's going to help. I mean, we've already seen from a retention perspective, I I believe that part of it is because we've allowed this remote gift work to go on. Mm -hmm. So to have a major gift staff where the person that's been here, the shortest amount of time is three years. And that's me. Out of five people... (laughs) I think mm-hmm. it's significant that, it is. you know, that people, people are finding it allows for them to do really good work. And I think, you know, this idea that we can, there are so much that we do with, I mean, again, if we're doing our work right, we're doing phone on, or we're doing uh, work on the phone, right? We're doing mm-hmm. in-person visits. I think phone is an underused um, tool. Or yep. I think the most successful people in our work use the phone. And again, <laughs> when you're at your own personal office, people aren't worried about how loud you're talking or that you're talking all the time or that you're, you know all of those barriers that I think impact our work, you know, are removed because you have the ability to to kind of work in your own space and really do that work. So, I think I think that helps too. But I think retention is definitely something that um, is significant. I also want to bring up that all of us are remote. And so I do appreciate that there's not like a fear of missing out where there's one Mm -hmm. person's remote and the rest of the team is on campus. So I do Mm -hmm. appreciate and I do think part of our success is because we have a fully remote team. And so we do miss out on some things that happen on campus. We do, because we're Mm -hmm. in these roles. yeah. And and we accept the good with the bad, right? So yes, it's sad that sometimes we don't get to participate in some of those campus things that everybody else is doing. But we appreciate the flexibility that it affords us that I think all of us would say we would prefer to be working remotely, even though most people aren't. Um, The other thing that I will say is that we in this last year, when everyone, or many, many, many people were working virtually, um, we we were included in more things than ever before, because every meeting was being done, you know, on video. But I think that there's um, they recognize that we can still participate in this way. And I think everybody's gotten better at offering that option. So I think it's only going to help us going forward too to be included in many things that maybe in the past that bring us back to campus, you know, virtually that maybe in the past we haven't had. Um, so I think that, you know, that's just gonna continue to make it better for all of us as well.
1: Carrie, let's go back to the use of the telephone because I <clears throat> right in the middle of the pandemic, right in the middle of the pandemic, I had um Stephen from uh Bloomerang here on the podcast. Mm. And they were talking about how the telephone was sort of making a comeback right in the middle of the pandemic and people were actually accepting calls. So it wasn't, and they were calling each other back. Right. So think about how hard gift work, major gift work is, you, you know, the likelihood that a major donor is going to call you back after you leave a message is not all that high. And, and it started to, and, and they were recording record numbers of telephone calls And, and I think you're exactly right that, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this and your use of this, um, uh, Laura, I have, I have worked with so many different clients that have hired young development officers. And I said, and I've said to them, look, you have to balance like one-to-one the ratio of telephone or, you know, emails to telephone calls because the emails, you know, a young development officer who's not comfortable in this work Will just go overboard on those emails, and they'll never make phone calls and um and i think I think what by putting you know by permitting me for example, to work at my desk where I'm sitting right here, and I saw this when I worked at the organization I used to work with in my last employer when I was supervising a team of development officers, they don't want to sit there and be on the phone and have their colleagues sort of you know Lurking listen. And it, listening. It, it, yeah, yeah. It was exactly. just and, 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 and there's a certain degree of privacy and you're yes. trying to be at the top of your game and and uh, you don't want to feel like you're sort of being monitored and all that sort of stuff. I mean, let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, is the is the telephone by going remote, are we gonna see the phone sort of just get back in and or sort of earn its spot back?
3: Well, I'll jump in here and say that. So Carrie loves the phone. Okay. She loves the phone. I love, hate the phone. Okay, Um, that's fine. And and so I, but I'll I'll tell you this, Jason. So Carrie and I just had a conversation about this a couple weeks ago. I do not like itch to call people, but... For my job, I, I agree completely with you on the one to one ratio. You can yeah. you can look through, you know, various. You pick an institution in the United States and you look at their, you know, their database, and you'll see email, 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 and right. the donors taken out of you know discovery because they're not responding. So, yes. Um, so Carrie and I were just talking about it. Carrie is much more encouraging where I'm sort of more like lay the law down on this. And, and my thing is <laughs> right. this. Don't tell me that you cannot get this person to respond until you've called them. I don't yeah. want to hear it. You, you've got to right. make the phone call. And I think probably the reason I'm a hardliner on this is because I don't enjoy the phone. So And I make myself do it. I'm incredibly disciplined about using the phone. Uh, and it works. It really works. People really appreciate a phone call. So from a tactical standpoint, it's, it's absolutely critical. And, You know, I'll I'll let Carrie go now since she's the phone lover.
2: Well, and and I, I mean,
1: like you, I'm on your team. I actually, I probably have some of the same hesitancies that you do, Laura, Mm -hmm. but I also as somebody who is, who spends most of my time coaching and and, and working with clients who won't pick up the damn phone, I'm totally in (laughs) Carrie's corner on Mm -hmm. this. You
2: you have to use the phone and, and it doesn't people overvalue actually reaching people on the phone by the way. <laughs> so sometimes the phone call is just to get them to email you back to get the visit. So yeah. sometimes you don't even get a talk to them, but it's a step to the end of what you're trying to do. You're trying to secure the visit. It, it takes a phone call. Sometimes to secure the visit that would be a voicemail that you're leaving. So you're not always even reaching people. And, um, and again, I put this in forced fun, right? So sure. Part of, of, Holding people accountable is, to Laura's point, have you used the phone? You know, and I've had, uh, Jason, I'm with you, young people, they've never picked up a phone in their lives. <laughs> they only know how to text with them. And they think yeah. that's the same. It is not the same. Um, yeah. Because there's no, vo- there's no vocal inflection. There's no enthusiasm, right? There's no, yeah. there's none of that. And so part of the forced fun is, I need you to make these five calls today. And you're going to tell me how they went, (laughs) you know, so, but then they see it works and then they see the benefits, you know, and then even they'll get discouraged. Like, Oh, I've had a hard time getting visits. Have you picked up the phone? You know, have all these people been called? Oh yeah. Phone, you know? So I think the other thing to your point during the pandemic, we started doing, um, we would tell people that we were going to call them. Like, I'm going to call you tomorrow. Is there a better time to reach you? Yeah. And if we didn't hear back from them, we just called them. And we got discovery visits that way. We, you know, we we did, you know, and a lot of it, too, was, you know, all of our visits were virtual, of course, last year. So we were just doing virtual, you know, work. Sure. Um, But we would do it some that way, too. So, you know, you Mm -hmm. still made the call. And then sometimes, to your point, they picked up. I'm like oh, they picked they up and I they said I'm so sorry I didn't respond to your email.
3: <laughs> right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you had people. You had major donors. <laughs> I heard this. Yeah. I, there was like a there was a guy who and he's a major gifts officer in New York City if he's listening, he knows exactly who I'm talking about. He knows he's and, he, and he's he's watching one of these threads of conversations or perhaps that follow-up the, you know, the follow-up to that podcast discussion, and he's like, this major, like, mega-donor called me back, and it was like, it was like, you know, it was like an experience he had never had before, (laughs) and I I just think, I think, I think that that's sort of some of the silver lining in what the pandemic has done for our work, but I'm interested to hear, so, when I was working on my first book, the one of, one of the one of the last chapters really got me into the differentiate the differentiating between what are called performance based goals and mastery goals and mm. performance based goals is kind of like it's the competitiveness that happens in the hall when you're at the office and you're comparing your it's 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 comparing yourselves to somebody else or comparing yourself to the shop down the street And mastery goals is when you're competing with yourself. That's really what it is. It's competing with yourself in different sports, different disciplines sort of tend to lean towards uh, performance-based goals tend to be those goals where it's, it, it, performance based sort of perform uh tends to play out on the soccer field when the youngster really doesn't want to play soccer but he's trying to meet mom or dad's expectation so it's this external pressure that's happening that's what basically performance based goals are but what i'm hearing in this in this sort of this anecdotal example with this conversation about the telephone is is that laura the telephone needs to become something you master Mm-hmm. And it probably needs to become something that you master at your dining room table or wherever Absolutely. you're most comfortable doing it. And you just need to get really, really good at it. Mm-hmm. And we probably don't need to be comparing you with your colleague down the hall. And so by being remote and you're still picking up the phone, right? Indeed. It's And and so it seems to me like there might be some, you know, the more, Carrie, you know, supervisors like yourself get your heads wrapped around things like the way that Laura actually gets good at picking up the phone is not really comparing her to John down the hall who happens to be somebody who's been picking up the phone for you know 25 years longer than she has um
2: well and and i think that no nobody wants people overhearing their phone conversations i mean no one wants that you know what i'm saying like you know because you're so self-conscious of who's listening to you but when there's no yeah. one listening to you when you're at your dining room table making the calls it's it's so much easier and then there's the great um how about the fact that you get to have notes when you're on the phone i mean yeah that's the beauty of phone conversation too is you you can have your notes there to help you you know what are the points you want to make what are the discussions you want to have and that's the other thing that i think people have learned is that you know, it creates that. But I, I like this idea of performance versus mastery. And, and I agree that you will master yeah. the skill. Again, you just have to do it, right? You just, have yes. To, yes. you just have to do it. And you get better at it. And we all have bad phone calls. And, you know, all, all of that happens, too. But when you talk about this performance piece, I think inherently um, gift officers who like the work, they, they do have this performance competitive nature yes. to them too. Sure. yeah, and, and the celebratory piece too. And so that's why when I said that sometimes you have to orchestrate that when the team is remote. So when we started, people weren't sharing wins and yeah. it was weird. Like mm-hmm. people would close some really great gifts and nobody knew that the other person had done that. First of yeah. all, as a team, I felt like we all wanted to be able to celebrate with each other. And that was important. But also, it's that that competitive. If you don't know that other people are closing gifts, like that, there's that competitive piece that's part of it too. And so, when I said we had to kind of force sharing, of yeah. you know, again, it's to accomplish both of those things. One, people should get to celebrate their wins. Two, yeah, it it encourages that competitiveness. Like, oh my gosh, you know, they closed two gifts you know, this month, and I haven't had any in a couple months, like maybe I need to look to them for, you know, ideas, or maybe I need to pick up the phone, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the, the research, the research on performance based versus mastery goals, it one ultimately does lead to burnout, and the mm-hmm. other one doesn't.
0: And so the
1: more ba- basically what the research shows is is that the more that Laura learns to compete with herself and for example she you know look your 10 your 10 calls are not yielding meetings and so you're going to have to move that to 12 or you're going to have to move that to 15 exactly. whatever the hell you got to do but learning to compete <laughs> with yourself and not thinking that by just and this is probably more pro- i i tend to do a lot of my coaching focused on process rather than out you know when it comes to the when it comes to the closing of gifts you're down on the sort of the outcomes oriented sort of side of this on the process side you know on the process side i don't know that making 15 calls versus 10 as compared to what john down the hall is doing i don't know that that necessarily contributes uh, yeah i just i don't i don't yeah, i don't so think what that i would helps.
3: say jason is so uh, like I said, I've worked for St. Mary's for three years. Prior to that, sorry about that. I have a buddy down the hallway who's barking at me a little bit, literally. Um, so I've worked at St. Mary's for three years, and prior to that, yeah. I worked for my alma mater for um for seven years, and six-ish of that was direct frontline major gift um yeah. fundraising. And I would say that the pandemic is what has Made me feel much more um, of a master at at using the phone yeah. and, and so even so working remotely, this is what this did for me working remotely allowed me to figure out what worked for me and what worked for me to use the phone and Carrie knows this, and she gets a little kick out of it is that <laughs> I get in my car and I drive to a place that 's pretty that I can look at while i'm Making these calls and I just crank them out and I leave messages. Oh, I'm just like that. Yeah. Yes. So it it mimics a lot. I'm I'm
1: not into the pretty thing. I'm not into the pretty thing, but I I totally get in the car and I totally like the car moving. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So
3: it's just the symmetry with like what we do when we're on the road versus what we do when we're at home, but we're actually just you know driving our own car. Uh, so, what, but what, so I've always done that for St. Mary's is, is go out and make yeah. these phone calls and have that discipline about, okay, I've emailed, I told him I would call, so now I'm calling. Um, but what the pandemic has done is it has allowed me to pay really close attention to what is working when I'm leaving voice messages or time of day or whatever, so that I can make sure when I leave those messages, I'm using our time um, as wisely as possible. So, I feel like you're right. It's just one of those things you have to do. You have to just do yes. it and you do get more comfortable with it. And I will say this too about our team. I'm probably the thing I'm the most proud of, although our results have been absolutely amazing during the pandemic and I'm very proud of the results, but I've really been proud of the the way we haven't squandered the opportunities that the pandemic offered us. It's it's Sometimes it's hard to see that silver lining, but Pandemic has offered us opportunities and I think we've done a good job of not missing that moment.
1: I've got a question before we let you go. <clears throat> so part of one of the arguments that I'm making in the new book is that is it is that too much of our work is rooted in the gift and not enough of our work is rooted in the relationship, which mm-hmm. is the difference between a commodity market, basically a commodity market and a gift economy. Mm-hmm. Laura, has the work allowed you to be more rooted in the relationships with your donors? Obviously, you're going to get to the gift. Obviously, Carrie's going to track that. But if you notice that, it would seem to me that, I mean, unless you're not doing anything at your desk, which obviously we're going to figure out somehow, your job is in the relationship with the donor because yeah. you can't really do anything else. You right. can't. You can't go down the hall and talk to John about the number of calls he's making or hanging right. out. Or you can't. You don't have the you know the program department on the other side of the building, sort of pulling you in for meetings. Right. Your job is in the relationship with your donors, whether you're cultivating or whether you're soliciting. Am I right?
3: Absolutely. And and you know one of the things that you know higher education laughs about a lot is is work by committee. So uh, one thing that you're not part of. Is committees college it's committees, committees.
0: Right. Um, so you
3: do have a lot more time on your hands um, when yes. you work remotely, and and it is it's it has increased. I think it's increased my effectiveness, productivity, and the love of the job that I've been able to focus on the relationship um, because you know these people, you get to know them on a very personal level, and so. You can work with them to find out what motivates them. Some people like recognition. Other people want to see impact. Um, some people want both. Some people just want to do whatever's best for the institution. You get to find out what is their motivator and 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 work with them. And it's more of a partnership, I think, um, in a relationships-based model uh, than it is in a more transactional model. And I, could, I don't think I could be happy in a transactional t- type of model.
1: Well, do you see what you're doing? <clears throat> So a lot of times we talk about how the fundraiser you've, you've both heard this, the fundraiser has to get to know their colleagues in the building, right? You've heard that. And there's all sorts of rationale why that is. And that's a lot of times that comes with sort of this notion of integration and that we've got to integrate the fundraising and da, 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 But, but what that also does is that that keeps the donor relationship somewhat detached from the organization. And so by you, Sort of being obviously uh, I think part of the mistake that we're making in a lot of organizations is is we're not integrating our donors enough. Mm-hmm. Well, by you being out into the field, you become a much more natural integrating sort of mechanism, if you will, to integrating these donors into the culture because your relationships are rooted in interacting with them, not so much interacting with your colleagues down the hall. That's not to put one over the other, but I don't think that one is necessarily, I mean, I, I think when we talk about what organizations are, I don't think that the donor or the staff should be any sort of, you know, valued any greater or less. We all need to sort of, sort of be integrated as part of a, you know, a, a, a an integrated whole. Does that make sense, Carrie?
2: Well, yeah. And, and you know, again, I think it comes back to the people doing our work. Is field work. We are to be out with people, out with donors, carrying the message, understanding them, understanding who they are, where their interests lie, and seeing if there's a connection. And, And are they interested in supporting the philanthropy of our institution? And if we're not a priority, I always say, they always hear me say that, that is okay. We don't get to decide that. We only get a share who, you know, we only get a share opportunity and present that to people and then they get to decide how they want to give their money. And, um, and so I think that it's that partnership and those relationships that you build that allow you to identify, is there an opportunity for that or not? Um, and it keeps you focused. It keeps you focused on that work. Like that is our most Mm -hmm. important work is our work with donors and, I believe that working remotely allows you to continue to stay focused on the most important work that we do, and that is those people and understanding them. Now, we have to do more work to connect back to campus, right? We have to stay up on what's going on because we don't just walk by it every day, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, as a, as a remote gift officer, you do have to stay on top of um, all that's going on on campus to make sure that you're providing the most up-to-date information and opportunities for donors. Um, but that's, you know, I consider that an opportunity that we have by being remote employees. Um, but I just feel like people should not be afraid to have remote staff. I think if you set it up for success with the right goals, with the right expectations, uh, you have, you can't be a micromanager. You have to be okay with empowerment. Um, and if you are and you hire great people, they will go do yeah. great things. I, I believe that.
1: Yeah. Well, Carrie and Laura, we have had you for about 45 minutes, and we lose our listeners at about this point. Um, Laura and Carrie, I suspect there's somebody out there, maybe more on the Carrie side, maybe on Laura's side, too, of the equation here, uh, who's interested in reaching out to you. They know how to find me. Um, how would you suggest that they do that?
2: Oh, sure. Um, I mean, you can reach me at uh, cmuller.stmarys.edu. Yes, and, and my Laura, email is is massive um, because I have
3: two last names. So it's L, yeah. as in Laura, Coleman, like the camping gear, unfortunately, but not. C-O-L-E-M-A-N, Pritchard, P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D, at stmarys.edu. And there, people are welcome to reach out.
1: Well, I will also put your information in the show notes uh, to... Reach out to you via LinkedIn. Uh, it great. has certainly been a pleasure. I think what I most see between the two of you is um, you're you're definitely in sync. You look like you, you you just look like you enjoy working together. I get to yeah, see the grins on it. your faces as, as as I've watched each one of you talk. You're both grinning, and
2: <laughs> it's <laughs> so. a gift. It's a gift, Jason, to get to work with great people.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally see that. So uh, my listeners can't see that, but I can uh, I can definitely give you credit for that. It's certainly been a pleasure. You're certainly both welcome back.
0: Oh, thank thank you. you so much.